Today is, of course, Labor Day weekend, and I hope that you've had a chance to rest. Uh, this morning, I hope that uh, the Word of God will edify your souls as we look at a topic that uh, is probably not what we would choose to listen to, but is vitally important in the life of a Christian. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, I'm going to give you a really short illustration. For those who observe these things, if you take a bucket and you put a bunch of crabs in that bucket, you will witness an interesting phenomenon. When one of the crabs tries to climb out, the others will grab it and pull it back down. So they say, I've never tried it. Get a big bucket, put a bunch of crabs in there, one crab tries to escape, and the other crabs will just drag it back down. I want to submit to you, that's an illustration of what we're going to talk about today. In the last week's sermon, we talked about two kingdoms, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of darkness has the prince and the power of the air, Satan as its ruler, and he wants you to live by his rules. But for those of you, those of us that are born again, we've been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness. We've been placed in God's kingdom, and now we have a new ruler. His name is Jesus. Here are the rules for the kingdom of the world. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and pride of life. You live for yourself. Those of us that live in this kingdom, we live under the lordship of Jesus Christ. We follow his rules. And what happens is once you become a Christian, the kingdom of darkness says, we're not going to let you, crab, get out of that bucket. You're coming right back here to us. We want you to live like us. And if you don't, we're going to tell you, you need to change. You're going to be persecuted. So as we go through this life as Christians, we're going to experience people, circumstances that want us to conform to the things of this world and ignore Jesus Christ. When you leave here, it's okay to be here and worship, but when you leave here, make sure you follow the world's rules, not the world, not Jesus' rules. So as we look at this text today, Jesus is saying through the Sermon on the Mount some very, very important points that you and I are going to be persecuted. Look what it says. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, the word persecution here is dioko, which literally means to run after or pursue with the intention of doing harm. In other words, those in this kingdom of darkness, when they see Jesus, and they see Jesus in Christians, they don't like it. So they like to verbally chastise us for our faith in our Savior. And not only like to verbally chastise us for our faith in the Savior, but they like to even pursue punishment if that's what it takes to get us to stop. So you look all over the world, you'll see persecution taking place all over the place. In China, there's tremendous persecution taking place. In the Middle East, there's countries that you can't even go into as a Christian. Uh, just by being Christian. You look at the history of the church. People have been in prison for preaching the gospel. The world, the kingdom of darkness, hates the kingdom of light because they hate the Savior for whom we stand. The Bible says in John chapter 3 that men love darkness and they won't come into the light. They don't want anything to do with this. So Jesus said in John 15, 18, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Paul said to a young preacher, Timothy, he said, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You're going to be shunned. You're going to be ignored. You're going to be uh, put aside if you don't follow this world's rules. 
So as we look at this text today, we want to answer this question. What principles must Christians remember when we're persecuted? Okay? First thing, do people know you're a Christian? If, if people don't know that you're a Christian, if they can't tell by your behavior, you're not going to experience any kind of persecution. You're following the world's rules. You're approving their rules and you're saying, I'm a Christian, but I'm living the way you want me to. I don't want to rock any boats. So what our Lord does here is he starts off with something positive. He says, blessed are you when people, pers- when people insult you. Here, here's the, the principle of rejection. Point number one, the principle of rejection. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Now, the word blessed here means to gain approval, to be happy, to receive favor from God. We literally think of it like this. It's the hand of God working in your life as you achieve God's purpose in your life. God blesses those by his hand directing them through the good and bad things of life because they're his children. Non-Christians don't have God's blessing. Christians do, but it's often mysterious the way that God chooses to bless us. He does so in ways that we can't always understand. Here are some of those ways we don't understand. You're considered blessed if three things happen. Number one, people insult you. You say, well, Brother Jeff, that doesn't sound like a blessing. Here's what it means to be publicly reviled and insulted. Who here likes to be insulted? Anybody? If you've ever wanted to insult Pastor Jeff, here's your chance for the next half a second. Go. Done. All right. Here we go. You can't do it anymore. Nobody likes to be insulted. But what Jesus is saying here, look, if you've been rescued from this kingdom and you're in this kingdom, one of the things you're going to experience as a Christian is you are going to be insulted because you represent me. Don't take it personally. But you're going to be rejected because you call yourself a Christian. It's part of living the Christian life. So it literally means to be publicly reviled and insulted. We see this even happen to our Lord. Look at the thing about us. Others slapped him in the face and said, prophesy to us, Christ, who hit you? I mean, who could say that to Jesus? But they did. In Matthew 27, 44, the robbers who were crucified with him heaped insults on him. Listen, if Jesus can get insulted, so can you and I. Because the kingdom of darkness insults those who stand for righteousness. If you want to live a sinful life and live like you're in darkness, they love you. But if you're going to be serious about Jesus, don't be surprised if the insults come. Second thing is, and don't you love this, people lie about us. It says, when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say, you ever been lied about? Have you ever been lied about at all? It means to deceive someone by lying about them. In other words, if you're a Christian and somebody says something that's not true about you, they're lying about you. How do you respond? Now, notice, I didn't say they were talking about your character. I didn't say they were talking about you personally. They're lying about you because you're a Christian. A little bit different. But it still hurts, does it not? It hurts to be lied about. Jesus is saying, expect it. If you're going to be persecuted, you've got to understand a couple of points. We get insulted and we get lied about. But there's another part here. They falsely say evil things about us. This literally means to be publicly destroyed. And we see this in the realm of politics all the time. Jesus is saying, look, 
if you're a Christian, you can expect these three things. This is the type of persecution that the world is going to do to you. If you're a Christian, they're going to insult you. They're going to lie about you. They're going to even make stuff up that turns you into somebody that's evil. And they won't look back. They just want you to be like them because that's the way they are. That's the language of darkness. They insult, they lie, and they make stuff up. R.T. Kendall, the great scholar, said, being persecuted for righteousness is the nearest you'll get to feeling what God feels like all the time. Being persecuted allows us to feel like what God feels like because people constantly lie about him, insult him, take his name in vain. You want to know how God feels like? Then just experience this. By the way, by way of side note, if you're spiritually dry, God uses persecution to get your spiritual dryness out of the way. You don't need to be entertained. You don't need more stuff. What persecution does is it kind of makes you settled in your convictions. I'm standing for Jesus Christ. Blessed is the person who is persecuted for righteousness sake. Uh, many years ago, anybody see the movie The Passion of the Christ? Mel Gibson's movie? Uh, the guy that was the actor in that played Jesus, names was Jim Caviezel. I hope I'm saying his name right. Jim Caviezel was the, the guy that played Jesus in that movie. Okay? He and Mel Gibson had a conversation about that movie and before it came out Mel Gibson said to me, he said, you do realize by taking this role, you're probably not going to have much of a career in the film industry. Just want you to know that ahead of time. Because you're going to be put on a blacklist where you're not going to be able to have much of a career if you're really, really going to be in this movie as Jesus Christ. And sure enough, that came to pass. A Jim Caviezel, in that conversation, said uh, in response to him, Everybody has to embrace their crosses, and this is mine to embrace. In other words, he felt it was more important to stand for Jesus than it was to lose his career in the film industry. And that's the kind of thing that we're talking about. How much does Jesus mean to you? Blessed are you when this happens. You can expect it. It's God's way of, of, of enabling you to be a Christian and stand for Jesus Christ as you go through this earth, go through this world. It's God's way of chiseling us. It's God's way of conforming us into the image of Christ. When this world doesn't get you to conform to its desires, it's going to persecute you to say, look, live like us, agree with us, be what you want us, be just like us. And Jesus says, no, you're going to be like me. So that's the introductory step here. Do you, do you really want to be a Christian? If you really, really want to be a Christian, you got to make a, have a conviction about this. I'm standing for Jesus Christ, period. All right, point number two. The principle of rejoicing. What do you do when you're persecuted? Do you lash back? Well, you insulted me, I'm going to insult you. You lied about me, I'm going to lie about you. You're falsely saying all kinds of evil against me, I'm going to falsely say all kinds of evil against you. It happens so quick. Don't you love those kind of arguments? They happen in churches. They happen in families. They happen in marriages. That fast, the flesh responds. Don't you insult me. Don't you lie about me. Don't you say any kind of evil against me. But Jesus is saying that's not the way Christians respond. That's the way the people in the kingdom of darkness respond. But that's not the way Christians respond. How do Christians respond? This is really cool because if you look at this verse, there are two imperative commands here. This is the, the crux of the matter. Here's how you respond when you're persecuted. Rejoice and be glad. Point number two, the principle of rejoicing. 
Rejoice and be glad. That's two words. The first word means we choose as an act of our will to give joy, to rejoice, to be joyful. You're saying, man, you're persecuting me for being a Christian. I'm being blessed by God right now. I'm going to be blessed by the Lord because I'm being persecuted. I mean, think about Paul and Silas in that prison cell, in jail, singing hymns to God. That was their response to persecution. You know you're a Christian when you respond the way Jesus wants you to respond. You know you're in this kingdom living by its rules when you respond the way Jesus wants you to respond. He says, don't lie about them. Let them lie about you. Don't insult them. Don't say false things about them. You rejoice. They're watching you. Rejoice. And the second verb there is be glad. Let me tell you the difference. Some of us, when we sang this morning, we were rejoicing. We were going through the motions. Because we are supposed to. That's what you do on Sunday morning during song time, right? But the second part says, that group of people liked it. On the inside, they're glad they got to rejoice. They were happy that they got to rejoice. And the word there is overflowing. Some of your translations are exceedingly joyful, exceedingly glad. You're thinking to yourself, man, you're insulting me. You're lying about me. You're falsely saying all kinds of evil about me. God, thank you for letting me represent you. I give you praise and glory and honor because you count me worthy to bear the name. It's an unusual response, is it not? Who responds that way? God tells us to respond that way. Now, most of us, if we're honest, we live our lives in a Christian culture. Everything we do is with Christian people. We try to avoid this type of persecution. We don't go where those people are. Jesus ate with publicans and sinners. He went where those people were. But by and large, the evangelical church in America today just avoids darkness. And we kind of, without realizing it, say to ourselves, you know, they can just go to hell. And when we have inactivity, that's kind of the way we handle it. But Jesus is saying, no, you've got to have a proper response to people. This is how they're going to know that Jesus is real. When you have your relationship with Jesus bubble over and you can rejoice and be glad in doing it, think about it. Who gets glad when people insult you? Who gets glad when people lie about you? Who gets glad when people say falsely all kinds of evil against you? Remember what Jesus said, because you're mine. That's why they're doing it, because you belong to me. Don't take it personally. They belong to Jesus Christ. The principle of rejoicing is very, very powerful. Let me, let me make this a hope. How many of you have ever lost something? Anybody here ever lost something? Nobody? Just me? One other. Okay. Many years ago, there was a woman, and her name, she was in Canada. Her name was Mary Grahams. She was 71 years old, been married to her husband for a long, long time. And one day, she was out in the garden, and she was weeding the garden, doing what she loved to do. And something happened. She lost her wedding ring in the garden. Now, ladies, just by way of testimony, would any of you rejoice and be glad when that happens? You go tell your husband, I guarantee he's not going to rejoice and be glad that it happened. Okay? She looked and she looked and she looked. She could not find her wedding ring. Now, what do you do when you lose something like that? You just feel terrible. You feel terrible. Time passed. One day, 13 years later, her granddaughter was working in the garden. 13 years after she lost her wedding ring. Something amazing happened. 
she found a carrot. Caitlin, can you put that picture up there? That's what I feel like in the morning when I'm putting my belt on right there. (laughs) Granddaughter walks in and says, Grandma, look what I found. Guess what happened? Rejoice and be glad. Yay! Yay! Thank you, Caitlin. You can put that down. That's the response. Just like you see that, that's the response that we're supposed to have when we get persecuted. Remember, you get a blessing from God when you get persecuted and you respond that way. That's what the Lord would have us to do. Christians respond righteously. The world responds unrighteously. You go back and you look at church history and you see some of the most amazing stories of the faithfulness of God's people under the most severe types of persecution. One of the things that I love to read is historical theology. I love to go back and read the stories of Christians just like us, faithful Christians just like us who stood for Jesus. Allow me to read one of them to you. There was, a, there was a man by the name of Polycarp. And Polycarp was 86 years of age in the early church. And the Roman authorities wanted to chase him down for what? For the sin of being a Christian. That was his sin. In Rome, you could worship any god, but just not one god. You had to be polytheistic. But Polycarp was sold out for Jesus Christ. And they hunted him down. And they found him in a barn. You know what he decided to do? Knowing that he was going to be martyred for the faith and be burned at the stake? You know what he did? He said, hey, before I go to Rome, all you guys look tired. Let me make you a meal. All the Roman soldiers came to arrest him. He cooked them supper before they cooked him. He rejoiced and he was glad. And he had these words and these have been spread throughout antiquity. They've said, for, he said, for 86 years I have been his servant. How then I, can I blaspheme my king who saved me? How can I turn my back on Jesus if he's allowed me to experience persecution for him? And his words are still heard today. The Roman soldiers who arrested him are forgotten. Faithfulness to Jesus Christ Jesus said, if you're faithful to me, one day you're going to have a reward. Rejoice and be glad. Which leads us to our third part of the message. Look what it says in point number three. We see the principle of rewards. Now watch this. Now why do we, why do we undergo persecution? Why do we rejoice and be glad? No, we're not trying to be selfish here. We're just repeating what our Lord says to us. Great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The word reward there means wage. In other words, one day, Christian, you will be paid back fairly for what you did in this lifetime. God does not forget your persecution. God does not forget your stand for him. Though men don't see, God sees. And one day, you're going to get a spiritual paycheck in heaven. 
That word reward means wage. You're going to be paid back in ways that you can't even imagine one day. Now, now do you believe that? Is that pie in the sky? Do you really care? I mean, when you've got books coming out saying from preachers, this is your best life now, even preachers are saying that kind of stuff. Uh, we tend to say, well, I hope there's a heaven. I hope I get there. And I hope when I'm there, it's going to be all right. Do you have the conviction that Jesus knows what he's talking about? He left heaven and came to earth and he's going back and he's saying, one day for you that stand with me, there will be a reward. Just look at the prophets. Now, if you go back and you look at some of the prophets, I can't do a lot of study on, but if you go to Hebrews chapter 11, you'll see what some of the prophets went through. I'm in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 32 and following. It says, and what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle. Now watch this, speaking of the prophets, some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. Watch this. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They even went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destined, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. They were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised yet. For God had planned something better for us than only together with us they would be made perfect. What does it say about our Lord? Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him. He had an anticipation of what was going to happen after life. And it's a promise of Jesus. If you believe Jesus for salvation, believe him for what he has in store for us. The reason we undergo persecution and take it now is because we take Jesus at his word that he knows what he's speaking about in our future. See, what the world wants us to do is just shh, just come in here on a Sunday, sing a couple of songs, but when you leave here, don't let anybody know you're a Christian. Don't let anybody know that you're a Christian. So what God will do is God will send some means to wake us up. He will allow persecution to come, to wake up his people, to wake up his church. That's what God has in store for us, his rewards, just like the prophet. Now, whether you get a reward or not, to me, is not really the issue. It's a benefit. The issue is you can know God right now, personally. You can know the God that made you. You can know the God that sent his son to die for us. But rewards are promised. I saw this illustration. I thought it was pretty cool. There was a, a woman in South Korea. Her name was Cha Sa Soon, and she lived in a very remote mountain village. She always wanted to learn how to drive, but she never had a license, and she was in her 60s. Because she had no access to some of the things that were described to get a driver's license, she would continue. She started taking tests and failed them every time because she didn't know anything about driving. She took the test once, failed, twice, failed, 10 times, failed. The story said she wanted a license so bad, she took the test 949 times and failed. You know, if you, if you fail that many times, I'm thinking, you know, you might want to go on to something else, you know. 
Don't worry about life. Just take the bus. Don't worry about driving. On her 950th try, she got a passing grade. Then she had to take her road test after the written test. And she failed that four times before she actually finally got her driver's license. She persevered and persevered and persevered and persevered and persevered. She did not quit until she got her driver's license. She became a folk hero when word got out in South Korea. Kia heard about it and gave her a soul, Kia soul, a car, and even put her in one of, her, one of their commercials. Because of her perseverance, she was rewarded for her perseverance. I don't know about you, but one day our faith will turn into sight and we will kneel before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Do you believe the promise? Everything in this world will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Do you believe it? Welcome, my beloved servant, to enter into the joy of the Lord. There'll be no more tears here. There'll be no more sorrow here. There'll be no more pain here. Look at these rewards I've got in store for you. In John 14, I go to my father's house to prepare, to my father's mansion to prepare a house for you, prepare a mansion for you. God has you in mind even now. The Bible tells us that his thoughts toward us outnumber the number of grains of sand on the sea. Do you know how much you're loved? This world over here is trying to tell you you're not loved, you're not important, you've got to get what you can and can what you get right here. But if you're a child of the kingdom of God, you're dearly loved, you're dearly accepted. Rejoice and be glad for great is your reward in heaven. As I get older, I don't know if this everybody does this or not, but as I get older, my kids don't like me to talk about death. My dad died at 60. I'll be 57 here pretty soon. I'm thinking, 60? Man, he went young. And, and my mind always kind of goes back to the to a story I heard many years ago, and I'll finish with this. Dr. Erwin Lutzer, one of my favorite pastors, now retired at Moody Church, told a story of a friend that he had in college. And the friend was diagnosed with a debilitating disease, and this disease was terminal. It was going to take his life, and he went to see him a few weeks before his home going. And as a pastor does, you go and you try to give comfort and you try to, to pray. And as often happens, he said to his friend, you know, I just came to encourage you. And he, his friend said to him, Erwin, let me just tell you, I see it. I see it. The end is in sight, and I see it. And I can't wait. He couldn't wait to see his Lord, his Savior. All the promises that he had lived by, the persecution that he underwent, the attempt to conform him to the ways of the world. He stayed faithful. He kept taking that driver's test over and over and over. He wouldn't let that crab pull him down. He was going to keep going on with Jesus because he had the end in sight. And friend, you and I, we need to remember the God that we serve loves us and one day there'll be a home going and it will be worth it all. We'll receive our reward. If it was just Jesus, that would be far more than enough. 
but there's promised more. I don't want you to be selfish here. It's what he gives us. We don't even know what it is. But I have not seen, ear hath not heard, nor the mind comprehended that God has prepared for those who love him. Do you love him? You're going to get rejected in this world, but rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. Let's pray. Gracious Father, you are a good and holy God. We thank you for your word, which is a lamp into our feet, a light into our path. Lord, when we undergo difficulties, when we undergo rejection in this world, because we're yours, we rejoice and are glad. And Father, we choose to, to give you all the praise, the glory, and the honor. We leave the rewards up to you. But we take you at your word and we claim your promises that we, your people, can give you praise. And we thank you for that privilege and that opportunity. Father, if there's anybody here today that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, they're still in the kingdom of darkness, they've not yet been transferred into the kingdom of light, I just pray for their soul even now. I pray they'll take Jesus at his word. You must be born again. That you demonstrated your love for us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Father, if there are some that have been influenced too much by the ways of this world, and they want to get back under your lordship, they're silent Christians, nobody really knows allow us to experience persecution to let the whole world know that we're yours father we pray for those in other nations today who are undergoing persecution just for carrying the name of jesus of christian we thank you for their faithfulness and pray that your blessing would continue to be upon them as they let their light shine father we rejoice and are glad because of our king our savior our lord jesus christ to you be all glory and honor and praise this in Jesus' name.